0: Greetings and welcome to the Thin Blue Marriage Podcast, a podcast dedicated to helping law enforcement officers have better and stronger marriages. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremiah Guile, active law enforcement officer and chaplain. Today, we're going to have a special guest with us, Dr. Meredith Moran. Uh, Dr. Moran is a licensed mental health counselor here in Florida and a former law enforcement officer. She's one of the few people in this field who has both extensive experience in law enforcement and mental health. She's also the owner of Frontline Wellness, which specializes in treating first responders on various areas of mental wellness, including PTSD and substance abuse. She's also a speaker trainer in the field of first responder wellness. She has a doctorate in counseling psychology from Argosy University and a master's degree in criminology from the University of South Florida. So, Dr. Moran, how are you today?
1: I'm doing great today. Thank you for having me on. I'm honored to be here.
0: Oh, well, thank you for being on the show. Um, so you used to be a law enforcement officer. Can you tell the audience how you transitioned from law enforcement to mental health counseling?
1: Sure. Yeah, I was a law enforcement officer um, here in the state of Florida for, well, I started as a police explorer when I was 15, and and then I got hired Um, with my agency. I was there for about six and a half years and two things kind of happened at the same time or in the same period of time. One, I developed severe test anxiety and I couldn't qualify on my firearm. Ooh. Yeah. Which is, they tell me pretty important to my job.
0: (laughs) Yeah, just a little bit.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And they, you know, they send me to the police psychologist and he said, Don't think there would be ever a problem if she were in a real-life shooting situation. This is test anxiety. But you still got to pass to have your gun. Right. The same time that was going on, a colleague of mine died by suicide. Ooh. Yeah. And so it was kind of an interesting there was a lot going on i was i was riding the desk for a long time um trying to get qualified um my self-confidence was in the toilet at that point i was pulling those things together that you know if i can't hit the broadside of a barn how can i do any of this other law enforcement stuff right so i ended up making the decision to resign and I went to the police academy as a training coordinator. Okay. And I worked there for eight and a half years. And during that time, I also became a reserve deputy with our local sheriff's office here in Pinellas County and different training ended up getting that monkey off my back and was able to actually qualify. though so it was still a struggle.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But while I was at the police academy, Um, because I was faculty, I'm like, well, I might as well just go back to school and get a doctorate. Cause why not? Yeah, why not? (laughs) (laughs) And that's when I kind of made the decision. I was working with the critical incident stress management team, um, for our our region. And that's where I made that decision. I think I'm going to get a degree in counseling and, and go see what I can do to help people like my friend not end up taking their lives.
0: Yeah, that's um, a pretty serious thing. You look at the stats of suicide, they're just getting higher and higher for law enforcement officers, you Mm -hmm. know, and uh, uh, I got to look at the most recent stats, but I know the line of duty, or if you compare suicide with line of duty deaths, suicide is one of the number one causes of death for law enforcement officers. Correct. So, okay, well, can you tell, tell the audience about your current work?
1: So currently, I am a private practice clinician. I, I ended up working with a um, one of our local substance use agencies here in Pinellas County for 12 and a half years. That's where I got licensed. And then in 2019, I went out on my own as a private practice clinician. So I specialize in first responders, but I see right now anybody who has trauma. Um, and I do a lot of psychoeducation about trauma in our brains and how trauma affects our brains and how we can rewire our brains to be in a more positive state and that whole brain body connection so that's that's the stuff i really love is when i get to, to i'm not i i'm not a neuroscientist by any stretch of the imagination but when i get to talk to about the brain and and trauma and how we can really fix that is I get really excited about that stuff.
0: Okay. Well, that sounds like a really important topic. Can you maybe expand and tell us a little bit more about the whole, um, uh, body mind connection and the brain rewiring?
1: Absolutely. So our brains, the, the, the survival part of our brain is evolutionarily wired to see the negative anyway. It's, it's in that DNA where back when we were hunter gatherers and foragers, we had to be looking for the danger all the time. Um, otherwise, if I'm not paying attention, I get eaten by a lion and maybe my tribe, my family is now in a lot of trouble. And we've carried that through into modern times. Now, the problem that we have with first responders is that even law enforcement especially, but even fire EMS, when I'm on duty, I'm always running in high alert. And then you add on top of that critical incidents where there's a crash, a a crash with multiple deaths or a homicide, or I have to to kill somebody in the line of duty, shoot somebody in the line of duty, which is what happened with my friend. Um, And all of that stuff just reinforces that idea that the world is a really dangerous place and we are never safe. And it keeps that fight or flight mechanism on all the time
0: yeah i know that's a big issue for law enforcement with uh hyper vigilance and mm-hmm. always worrying about that person that you you know arrested six months ago or gave a ticket to or something like that wanting to come back and get you
1: Mm-hmm. yeah it's you know it's the reason you find you know law enforcement officers who don't live in the city where they work because i'm less likely to run into somebody that i arrested mm-hmm. or i i always my husband who is currently in law enforcement We, you know, there's always that who sits with their back to the door or their, their back. So they're facing the door of the restaurant all the time. Um, Yeah. Guilty. (laughs) (laughs) And I just gave up the fight. I'm just like, okay, where do you want to sit? And I'll work around it. Um, Which is when I was in law enforcement, what my family did. My parents did that when I was was like, okay, where do you want to sit? And we'll work around you. Um, but the problem is, is that is not healthy for us in the long run. Okay. Um, we, we tend to, you know, when we're in fight or flight, we're pumping a lot of chemicals into our system that are not supposed to be there all the time. Mm -hmm. We're altering our breathing patterns. We're altering our digestion, um, It alters our sleep. So in the long run, it's not healthy for us. And then after time, it also starts to come out and affect the outside world. It's not stuff that we can keep locked inside even though we try.
0: By outside world, what do you mean specifically by that?
1: Family, friends, um, you know, the people around us who are not cops and bad guys. Okay. Yeah.
0: So, so um, how do you think this would uh, affect a family as far as like a marriage relationship and children?
1: So if I don't deal, if I'm a first responder who has some trauma, who has had some critical incidents who, or is just in general that super hyper vigilant, and I'm not dealing with it when I'm coming home, You know, there's that whole thing in the academy where you leave your job at your job and your home at your home and neither the two shall meet, which is ridiculous because it doesn't happen. Yeah. But so when I'm coming home, am I isolating now? So do I have to come home and and have a couple of beers to de-escalate so then I can interact with my family? Or maybe I just don't interact with my family. Or maybe I start treating my family like the perp on the street.
0: Mm, That can be a problem.
1: That can be a real problem because, you know, any, any spouse, especially if they're a civilian spouse, I mean, it's, I think when we, there is that, that thing where cops tend to marry other cops or other first responders because we all understand each other, Mm -hmm. but it's still a problem. But if my spouse is a civilian who doesn't understand what I'm seeing what I'm doing when I come home and I start treating them like suspects that can be a real problem people are not going to put up with that for a long time
0: yeah i could see that being a major factor in the uh, high divorce rate for law enforcement
1: mm-hmm. yeah cuz i'm not going to if i'm that spouse and and you i'm being treated like a suspect you're isolating from me, you're not opening up and letting me help, then I'm gonna shut down. And I'm gonna say eventually, why should I keep working at this if, if nothing's getting done? And now I'm miserable and I'm walking on eggshells and I'm hypervigilant because I don't know how my first responder partner is gonna be when they come through the door. Um, and so it, it can develop into this giant cycle of that's how we end up with multiple marriages and multiple divorces.
0: Yeah, I guess that's um, one of the things that not only from an academic perspective, but also, I mean, even from a clinical, but from a personal perspective, um, you know, you were a law enforcement officer. You're civilian mm-hmm. now. You're married yeah. to law enforcement so you're yeah. really getting to see it firsthand from all different perspectives.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And and you know, I've maintained a lot of that's why I'm I'm a vetted um therapist for law enforcement that I you know, I still talk the talk, I still have the language, but yeah, I'm not there for the calls that he has to deal with. Um and and he also says that 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 I've lost my edge a little bit.
0: <laughs> well, you're also not in. If you're not, you know, all that's perishable skills.
1: Exactly. You know, so. Exactly. I, I like to think that I could be good in a fight still, but um. <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well, uh, you know, I've been in investigations for a while, so a lot of my skills that would be used in patrol are definitely not what they used to be.
1: Right. Yeah. He he he'll, he'll. We'll be driving down the street, and he'll say, "Did you see that?" Like something on this, I'm like, no, I, I didn't. He's like, oh my god, you have you, no observation skills left. I'm like, yeah, sorry.
0: So you didn't <laughs> see the expired tag sticker,
1: <laughs> right? Yeah, exactly.
0: <laughs> so, okay, so, um, do you have some recommendations or anything that you could tell our listeners to help them mitigate some of the issues that come with? Uh, what you were discussing with that that trauma that they bring home.
1: Mm-hmm. I my first, you know, the first thing that I do with clients is education. My first session with a client after the get to know you is let's talk about what we just talked about. Let's talk about your brain on trauma, and that you're not crazy, you're just overstimulated, and then let's work on how do we help that. I talk about breathing and relaxation. Um, I talk about communication. I talk about grounding, just kind of understanding what my body feels like in this super tense state all the time. And if I can learn to relax my body when I don't need to be, obviously if I'm on duty, I need to be hyper vigilant. I need to be looking around and know what's going on. But at home in the safety of my own home, I don't need to be. So if I can learn to relax my body, And let that survival brain know that, hey, in this environment, we are safe. That goes a long way toward getting my thinking brain online, where now I can have those rational conversations, where I can have rational thought. I recommend therapy for people. Therapy doesn't have to be, oh, my God, I'm having a crisis and now I need to see a counselor. Therapy can be, hey, I've got all this stuff in my head that I don't want to tell my wife about or my spouse about because it's it's bloody and gory. So let me talk to a culturally competent therapist so I can get it out of my brain, and then I can have conversations about my work with my spouse that can be more benign and not so much blood and guts and gore, if that makes sense.
0: Oh, and it completely makes sense so do you um i understand this isn't a full clinical session but do you have some basic quick tips to help people learn how to relax a little bit and how to how to quickly decompress when they get off their shift
1: absolutely um i so breathing i think breathing is super important um for obvious reasons but also this idea of we, when we breathe normally, and especially in a hypervigilant state, we breathe very shallow. We breathe kind of through, in through the mouth, and it's, it's a very shallow breath. In order to relax, we want to get that deeper breath. Um, Dr. Seth Herkerson of My Steady Mind talks about BAMO, breathe and move on. It's a four-count breath. You breathe in for four, you pull it in deep, you hold it for a second, and then you breathe it out for four. And doing a couple of those helps to relax the body, pull the heart rate down and get us into that relaxed state. Also checking in with your body. I tell my clients, check in with your body all the the time. It's called interoception. So every once in a while, I'm just gonna take a second to look inward and see, do I have tension in my body? Are my shoulders up in my ears? And if so, I'm going to make a conscious rational decision to do some breathing, pull my shoulders out of my ears and let my body relax.
0: Okay. That sounds like it would be a a good thing for, you know, officers to do part of their daily regiment Mm -hmm. Um, because I could just see it now that if officers were doing this, Every day when maybe before their shift, do that a little bit to deal with any stress that they might take on the job,
1: but especially
0: Mm -hmm. doing it when they get off so that they're not impacting their spouse with all that job related stress.
1: Yeah. And depending on how long my drive home is. So, you know, if, if I have a longer drive home, you know, I can sit in my car as I'm driving home and I can, I can think about breathing I can think about relaxing or maybe I talk to my spouse especially if there's kids and it's as soon as I hit the door mommy 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 daddy 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 maybe we maybe we have that conversation with the family that you know what when when dad or mom gets home that we're going to give them 20 minutes to just you know go in the room take off their uniform relax with themselves de-escalate maybe do some short meditations just 20 minutes before we start in with oh my god here's all this stuff that's going on in the the house today Mm -hmm. so that they can so that there is that transition if i'm coming through the door after having a bad call the last call of the day and now i'm being hit with you know the water heater's out and daddy come play with me. And I need, I, can't, I don't know how to do my homework and what do you want for dinner? And it's my brain feels like this is just as bad as being assaulted by a suspect. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to, to have those conversations with our spouses and our families and say, look, can I get 10, 20 minutes just to be in the, my back room, my cave, wherever it is, to relax, reset my brain. And then we can deal with, we can transition from work to family.
0: Mm -hmm. So it'd be pretty safe to say that doing that could really uh, cut down on the amount of marital conflict?
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. Because if my brain feels safe, then I'm not treating my family like suspects. If I'm getting hit first thing as I walk through the door with all of these problems, again, my brain's gonna go right back into law enforcement mode and I'm gonna lash out, I'm gonna come off as angry i'm, I'm or I may shut down and isolate and not do anything, which again, now my spouse is why is this happening? what is his his or her problem? and all of that. So, yeah, I think if you, we have that, we have to have those conversations ahead of time, but giving that first responder a little bit of time to just deescalate and make that mental transition from work to home can cut down on a lot of that treating me, why are you treating me like a suspect or why are you shutting me out? Mm Mm-hmm.
0: So you mentioned something about the conversation ahead of time. Um, would it be, I guess, a good practice to, I guess, lay the groundwork for this in the beginning, sit down with your spouse, talk to them about that 20-minute break and, and the importance of decompression before you walk in the door all upset? You know, let them know up front?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think it's a conversation that, you know, if you're if you're looking to get married – that should be a conversation. If you're a first responder who is engaged, that should be a conversation mm-hmm. that, Hey, this is, this is what my life looks like on duty. And in order for me to transition so that we can have a happy, healthy life at home, this is some of the stuff that, that I need to help that transition. Um, yeah. It should never be a conversation that happens when I walk through the door and I get assaulted, I mean, I'm using air quotes uh, with the word assaulted. I get, you know, bombarded by my family. That's, I can't have that conversation then because I'm right back in survival brain and thinking brain isn't happening.
0: Yeah. And that's when people start snapping at each other and, you know, uh, their communication breaks down because they're misinterpreting things. So yeah, Mm -hmm. that's the same situation. Um, What you're describing is like when you're dealing with suspects, you know, a lot of, I know a lot of the guys out there that have talked to me about it. Their, their brain's so wired for law enforcement. And I try to tell them, you can take a lot of these law enforcement tactics and just recalibrate them for marriage. And you think about dealing, if you are dealing with the suspect, how you interact with them those first few seconds can totally change the dynamics of the encounter. Absolutely. so the same would be at home. If you come off all upset and, you know, fired up, then it's just going to create that kind of tension.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think that this is all, I mean, I think this is something that should be taught in the police academies. Mm-hmm. I think we should be, I don't think we're doing a good enough job in police academies with, when I went through the academy, and I think it's still still the same way today, it's very much this us against them mentality everybody's trying to kill you so you always have to be on guard 24 7 and you can never let your guard down Mm -hmm. and when i'm taught i can never let my guard down my brain interprets that as even at home where i'm supposedly safe i can't let my guard down Mm -hmm. so i think we should be we need to be teaching our young recruits that you know, this is, this is what happens to your brain when you, when you do this job and you need to do stuff ahead of time to, to mitigate that, have mm-hmm. a self-care routine before you're 10 years into your career and you hate everybody and everything. Yeah. Um, you know, and then, and, and I think also with, the academies, if there are people who are married in the academies, their spouses should be allowed to have, should have these conversations, should be allowed to come in for training. Um, Mm
0: -hmm. or
1: in agencies, there should be spouse training. Like this is what your first responder goes through. Mm -hmm. How can, you know, this is how you can help them transition to make, and I'm not putting it all on the spouse to help that, to make that transition. Obviously mm-hmm. as first responders, we need to be aware right, of our, own, we need to, and we need to take a uh, accountability for on stuff, but kind of letting spouses know that this isn't like Bob, the accountant's job at your office where, you know, if a number's off, things are crazy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: This is this is life or death sometimes.
0: Yeah. Uh, there's one agency um, out here in the West Florida area that, and I don't know if they're still doing it, but during their field training, they would uh, bring in a marriage counselor that would do a presentation on stuff like that. It would, you know, the uh, spouses were required to attend and they would get into some of the things that law enforcement goes through which I think is an amazing idea. I don't know if they still do it, and I haven't heard of any other agencies doing that, but I definitely agree with you that this mental wellness, uh, marriage survival, all that stuff needs to be taught at the academy level because you look at how many uh, police interactions that go bad, ones that result in use of force, suicides, Mm -hmm. all these things that happen because you know the law enforcement officer is just at his stress limits and a lot of it comes from you know issues at home cuz like you were saying earlier you can't just turn that switch off you know it's um i heard one person on a uh, another podcast i don't remember who she was but she described it as a dimming switch there is no on off switch you just dim it one direction right. or another
1: that's a good analogy yeah so absolutely
0: now, I wish I knew her name. I'd give her credit for it. But unfortunately, I don't remember her name. Otherwise, I would.
1: I had met a sergeant out in, I believe it was Cobb County, Georgia, mm-hmm. that they do the similar thing. They do with all of their recruits before they hit FTO. They bring the spouses in and have like a spouse academy at the agency.
0: Oh, nice.
1: Um, so, yeah, I think that's, I think that's instrumental in you know because after a while again if you're if i'm being treated like a suspect all the time or if it's if my spouse is isolating after a while i'm just i'm going to stop caring and Mm -hmm. i'm just going to be like okay well that's what we're going to do then that's what we're going to do and that's what leads to those that tension and then you know okay maybe we need to not be in this marriage anymore type of stuff.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Cause I wonder how many of the divorces that happen in law enforcement could be avoided just through a little bit of uh, mental wellness care and mm-hmm. some self care.
1: Yeah. I think self care is important. You know, we always, people always talk about self care and, and words like, self, you know, don't be selfish. And it, I've used this analogy with like three clients this week too. That idea of on an airplane, you put the mask on you first before you put it on somebody else. That's because I'm, yeah, you know, or even that idea of, you know, that when we talk about going to the calls and, you know, waiting for backup, because I'm no good to anybody if I rush into a call without backup and then I get injured and killed, injured or killed. Now somebody's got to come rescue me
0: yeah that that's, so, a, that's a pretty good point
1: you know I think that I think that having self-care and and you know I, I talked about this at the the last conference I spoke at having hobbies that aren't your job going to the firing range is not a hobby you know doing things with your spouse that don't have anything to do with your job Mm -hmm. trying to get out of that headspace for a little while makes sense yeah
0: can you tell me a little more about um your organization
1: sure um frontline wellness it's (laughs) i i am my organization i'm a licensed mental health counselor i'm a i'm also a um certified clinical trauma professional So I work, I have an office in St. Pete, Florida. I also do telehealth, so I'm licensed to see anybody in the state of Florida. Um, I'm also certified in a trauma therapy called accelerated resolution therapy, which uses um, bilateral brain stimulation to kind of rewrite the stories in our survival brain so that we don't have symptomology anymore. Um, And it's pretty cool.
0: Okay. By symptomology, what do you mean specifically?
1: So we don't have the, when I don't have the negative pictures in my head, then I don't have the symptoms of PTSD. I lose the, the hypervigilance. I lose the flashbacks, um, the, the triggering, all of that stuff that goes along with, and I, I, I'm trying to switch over to p t s i post traumatic injury because mm-hmm. we can fix an injury mm-hmm. um, so yeah, all of that stuff that goes with having trauma locked into my brain when we when we can rewrite those pictures and change that story, then that negative stuff goes away, okay. And it's, it's super cool. I've used it with um, law enforcement. I've used it with um, combat veterans. I've used it with domestic violence and sexual assault survivors. Um, it's it's such a cool thing to to do a session, and at the end of 60 or 90 minutes, that person is looking at you going, that's all gone. That whole story is gone. And I wow. don't feel... I don't feel the anxiety. I don't feel all of that bad stuff.
0: So I guess if someone was struggling heavily in their marriage and trauma was a major factor in that, then through that treatment they could theoretically actually improve their marriage off of it.
1: Absolutely, cuz you're yeah, if you're if I'm improving myself, I'm going to improve the stuff around me.
0: Okay. Yeah. Okay, so if they wanted to uh, get hold of you um, or to get more info on this treatment, uh, where can they get the information from?
1: So my website, um, my, again, my company's name is Frontline Wellness. It's two words. My website is flwellness.org, and that has all of my information on it. Um, for accelerated resolution therapy, You can also look that up at – their website is is is-art.org. It's the International Society of Accelerated Resolution Therapy.
0: Okay, and you said you can uh, treat people in Florida through telehealth, so it could be um, anywhere in the state?
1: Anywhere in the state. The only thing I can't do via telehealth is the – the art that would have to be something that I we would have to do in person okay. but if they were if they were far away from me I could find an art therapist near them cuz that is a procedure that is it's pretty standardized
0: mm-hmm.
1: so you wouldn't really need I could we could do some consultation with that okay but anybody else who wanted to to see me and talk about trauma and and kind of talk about the other the other stuff that goes with it the anxiety and how to relax and how to ground and and really just you know talking about what's going on in my head and and getting it out that i can do by telehealth
0: okay great so all right well i appreciate you being on the show and hopefully the listeners will get you know some good information uh you know, from this podcast and they'll be able to reach out to you for those that um, live within Florida um, or especially in the area where you're at. And you said you were in St. Pete.
1: I'm in St. Pete. So Tampa Bay area.
0: Okay. Yeah. All righty. Well, thank you very much. So this, thank you. Mm, Sure. Um, (laughs) this concludes this episode of the thin blue marriage podcast. Feel free to leave feedback at thin blue marriage at yahoo.com. And be sure to check out our other podcast episodes and uh, thank you and have a good night.